This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Kavnis HR will soon have the beta version of the Kavnis HR platform ready for testing. And we invite you as a listener of the Jason Kavnis Experience so join our wait list at www.cavernousHR.co. Once again, to join our wait list, go to www.cavernousHR.co. For those signed up for our beta testing, you will receive three months free to try it out, and then you will be locked into our discounted beta pricing forever. As a reminder, here at Cavernous HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people. If you have a small business or a startup, we invite you to join our waitlist for the beta testing of the Cabinets HR platform. Cabinets HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Remember to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Cabinets Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Here at Cabinets HR, we're signing up companies to do our wait for our waitlist to help us with the beta testing of our Cabinets HR platform. If you have a company with 49 or fewer people, your help will be greatly appreciated. You'll get three months of free HR and be locked in for a better price forever. You can sign up for our waitlist at www.cabinetshr.co. Once again, www.cabinetshr.co. Our guest today is John Neff. John, are you ready to be great today? Ready to be great. John is a passionate, experienced entrepreneur with a demonstrated history of international business experience and a proven track record for developing and growing brands, creating effective sales, product, marketing strategies, and crushing quotas, while delivering exceptional levels of customer satisfaction. And he is also a, a U.S. United States Marine. Um, so, John, one thing, go about the, go with this for fast. Like a lot of people, when they do things in the past, they'll say, I'm a former blank, I'm a former this, whatever case be. No one ever says they're a former Marine, right? It's always, you are a U.S. Marine. Even if, if, if you were a Marine, like back in 1957, 1958, or you just came Marine today. You're always a Marine, correct? That's right. Once a Marine, always a Marine. So quickly talk about your time in the Marines. And so for those who don't know, this is actually John's second time on the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, he's uh, in Mexico. We'll talk about that later. So last time I was here, we had like a like two or three balls of bourbon, you know, had a really good time, you know. So this would be a little bit more professional, so to speak. But the last time was definitely a whole lot funner. So, John, what, 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 what does it mean to be a Marine? Oh, man. Coffee, yeah. What does it mean to bring a Marine? Uh, you know, to me, it was at a, a pivotal point in my life. I was a, a young man, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I knew more than anything else that I didn't want to stick around uh, the town that I grew up in. There's a lot of things going on. And um, I decided that, uh, you know, the best path for me would be to, to experience the world. And, and uh, of course, I ended up at the Marine Recruiter's office. And, you know, I've been asked a few times why the Marine Corps versus anything else. And the answer has always been the same. It was the ones because they have the best uniforms. Um, that was my that was my first uh, attraction, I think. Of course, you know it's the world's finest fighting force. There's so many great great things about the Marine Corps, and um, but really all branches of service. Um, yeah, to me, it means um, having discipline, integrity, um, really 
doing whatever it takes to accomplish the mission and uh, on the battlefield for that, in that example. Um, four of the greatest years of my life for sure. And uh, you know, I always look back on that very fondly. So we're going to talk more about your entrepreneurship journey and, and living a mix of more detail. But can you talk a two-part question? Part one is, how have the ideas and values of the Marine Corps helped you in your life and as an entrepreneur? And part two, like the ideas of Marines and military, the ideas of military and the values are kind of high, especially Marines. How do you deal when you come across people who don't have those same high standards of values and characteristics? So how do you deal with that? Sure. Well, you know, it was a long time ago um, since I've since I was uh, in the Marine Corps. Um, to me, it's it's just really the never the never give up attitude, right? And it's it's um, not being afraid to uh, fail. You know, I mean, you're you're taught to fail fast and fail hard. I think when you're when you're going through training in the Marine Corps, at least from a uh, an early on standpoint, right? That's not the goal is to fail, obviously. But um, you're you're taught that uh, it's not always going to be easy. You're going to get knocked down. You have to get back up. And, um, you know, remembering that along the way. Sometimes when you get into that, for me personally, when I get into that tough position and, you know, whether it, be, it could be as simple as I'm working out or I'm trying to, you know, run a certain distance or you know, do something in a certain amount of time. And, and I often uh, reflect on that time in the, in the Marine Corps. And, and it gives me a lot of strength personally. And so I, I really just try and use that as a catalyst to, you know, there's a lot of pride that comes with that title. It's an, it's an earned and not given title. And so um, I like to remember that when I'm, when I'm having a hard time with something or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm maybe uh, thinking I want to hang it up. Um, you know, I, I often reflect on that, um, that experience and, and those things that I, I learned in the Marine Corps. Uh, what was the second part? I'm sorry. Um, you know, the Marines, it sells you this high, this high character, high value, you know, high standards, integrity, so on and so on. When you come across people who don't have these same high standards that were instilled in you, how do you deal with that? Like, like how do you do that? Because to me, I find that very frustrating sometimes. You know, I think you just try and surround yourself with, with the people that do understand that, right? That, that fit into that box. Um, you know, you, you can't change people. You can't, you can't even teach people at certain points in life. And so... Um, yeah, I try and I just try and surround myself with a lot of quality people. Um, I think that's probably the easiest answer I can give you. You know, I, I, I mean, we all have those uninspiring folks around us. I, you, you weed the garden, right? You, as time goes on, you know, you you really align yourself with like-minded people, and and uh, I think that's the best way to go about it. Not to say that I don't have friends and acquaintances that that aren't in the same space that I'm in, um, and I think I've learned to be less judgmental and. And really just try and identify those people that don't fit that mold uh, from a business partnership or, or uh, you know, a collaboration standpoint. You know, I really want to make sure I'm well aligned with those people and that we have the same goals and values. And, and it's better to know that up front, obviously, right? And set those expectations. Um, it's kind of how I go about it. Yep. I'm, a very re I'm a very relaxed Marine these days. Like you said, I'm in... <laughs> I'm in Mexico, and so uh, uh, no, nothing uh, core has changed. I think just maybe with age and, and wisdom, you know, I've learned to uh, uh, kind of identify those people that I think are, are of the same, the same mold. Yeah. Me and Bernard, me and Bernard Minos were talking about this like a couple of weeks ago, like how if you think about the whole life, what percent of the people you know in your life are actually like doing stuff, like actually adding value, like, you know, like hardcore driving stuff, like making the world better, you know? It's a very low number you think about it. You know, most people just want to work a nine to five, 
do the bare minimum. You don't want to do anything. There's, there's a very few of us who actually like, you know, kind of like make the world a better place. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I've uh, crossed that threshold quite yet. Um, but I think in my own world, I'm, I'm in my family's world, definitely working on making the world a better place and, and you know, always aspiring to, to add value. So all of us go through like what I think called like a, a life, lifetime events. I think they were called, right? You know, like weddings, funerals, graduation from college, birth of a child. But your family decided to do a life changing event on your own, right? You decided to get up and move from Seattle to Mexico. So let's unwrap that, right? Like, first of all, why Mexico of all the places, you know, and what, what was the whole process of doing that move? Sure. Good question. Um, we did. Uh, it's been about just over two months now. We moved to uh, Puerto Vallarta um, on the West Coast. And there were quite a few reasons, really. Um, we just sort of felt like the rat race, um, you know, COVID, COVID's changed everything, right? Nothing is the same. And I, I think that's the silver lining, really, if there were to be one, is that it opened up a lot of uh, opportunities for people uh, and for us as well. So whether it be working from home or learning how to work away from um, those core people that you're involved with all the time. Um, so that was a big catalyst. Um, the housing market was really great in Seattle. And, you know, just looking historically, we felt like, you know, if, if there's ever a time to, to uh, have bought low and, and sell high, it would have been then and now. And so we, we wanted to take advantage of that. Um, we have two little boys and they're, they're five and seven. So from a timing standpoint, we felt that it would be a great time um, you know, without disrupting them too much. Of course, COVID had already done that. So uh, this was just sort of a, uh, something we had always had our eye on and the timing really just couldn't have been better. Uh, and also my wife grew up in Guadalajara, Mexico. And so her parents live here in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, and so, you know, having that built-in community was, was really made it a lot easier. We've met a lot of uh, expats, veterans and, and non-veterans, people that have made the move, Canada, America, uh, all over the world. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we have that we're lucky to have is that family and that, that kind of built in community. So it was really never, uh, you know, the location we had other places we talked about, but really PV is what we call it was, um, the one that we agreed the most on. I love Thailand. Uh, I floated that out there. Uh, my wife just change the subject and we talking about something else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the other one was we love the Netherlands. Um, and we thought that would be, uh, an equally great experience, but the weather here, um, you know, we're in the rainy season. So this is the, the quote unquote worst time of the, of the year to be here. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a beautiful sunny day. Uh, it'll rain later today, uh, but we, yeah, we just love it. And, and really, another one of my goals was that I wanted to move somewhere where I could wear board shorts uh, and sandals uh, every day. So, so John, and, and y'all you drove down there, right, from Seattle area? So my wife, uh, two little boys, uh, they flew down, and I drove down with the dog, of okay. course. That's, uh, yep, it was a interesting five, six day experience for sure. That, I mean, that's an adventure with your dog. Your, do your dog is very exuberant. 
He did a great job. Yeah, I was I was surprised. He's uh he's you know kind of a puppy still at this point, and so he did great though. And uh, it was you know you follow all the all the blog rules, right? All, everything you read in TripAdvisor and whatnot. You drive during the day, you know you stay on the expressways, and uh, that's it. And so yeah, it was other than being 116 degrees for for five days, it was a, a fun little trip. So when you and your family got to Mexico, and obviously you already have family there, it's a little community. When you got there, how were you like accepted already? Or you had to like, prove yourself. How did you like get get involved with the community there? Well, we came. We made a few trips down ahead of time. Um, so we we had gone through the school uh, vetting process and decided where we wanted the boys to go to school. Um, we had already rented our place, um, so we had somewhere to come to, and it was furnished. You know, I think that's a that was a, a big key. Uh, we we brought things down, but we didn't bring everything down. And so we sold a lot of our things and gave, gave more away. Um, and then when we got down here, we basically, you know, we had a place to live. And um, my wife's done a great job of joining pretty much, you know, every Facebook group, mom's group, kids group, you know, this group, that group. And so um, we, we it's interesting in Mexico, everybody works through WhatsApp. That's kind of like the preferred uh, communication medium and so either that or, or facebook um and so um there you know the phone's ringing a lot there's a lot of things going on around us and the people have been great i mean we you know in our community um a lot of kids and so the our you know a lot of friends hanging around the house and it's been great um you know i i do my best to speak spanish um as often as possible the funny thing is a lot of the people that that we've met uh, especially the the uh, mexican nationals you know, they, I think they're excited by meeting us because they want to practice English. Um, so my Spanish is just kind of creeping along. It's like we have to take turns, you know, whose day it is to to practice their, their new language. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. So you, you, you've been an entrepreneur pretty much ever since you had the Marines pretty much. Um, like you come from Seattle, Seattle's known for like being a tech hub, entrepreneurial hub, so to speak. How's it there in the area now? Still a lot of entrepreneurship going on or are you like one of the few entrepreneurs there? Yeah, no, there's, uh, um, there's definitely some, a bunch of groups, um, digital nomad groups, things like that. So I think there's, there's a lot of talent here. Um, so if you're a tech company or otherwise, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, people in the digital nomad space. Um, so that's made it easy to connect with like-minded people. Uh, there's also entrepreneurial groups as well. Uh, um, right. Like my, my vision changed. And so I, to me, there's, there's just a ton of opportunity down here. Um, whether it be in the small business acquiring um, somebody's existing business space or, um, you know, looking at, at distribution opportunities, like what's available here versus what isn't available uh, here, you know, and, and a lot of the things that, that we've come to know and love in the States. And, you know, it's really surprising. Like I'll give you a weird example, but uh, Keurig cups and the Keurig coffee machine, um, non-existent. Uh, Nescafe, which is owned by Nestle, really dominates the market. Uh, and so while I'm not in the coffee space, that's one of those things that doesn't take you very long to realize, like there's, there's next to no competition and there's obvious reasons, right? I mean, uh, logistics and having, having a, a team and infrastructure and things like that built in down here. But um, just from the, the onset really of settling in, uh, realizing that there was, there was a lot of opportunity here, which, so for, which is exciting, which is exciting. For those that don't know, can you tell us what, what is a digital nomad? Sure. Uh, Digital Nomad is um, somebody that works in the online space uh, that is 
tied to um, a specific location, right? So, um, so the people that I meet, you know, you meet a lot of developers, you meet a lot of um, programmers, uh, social media managers, um, marketing and advertising people that are just really working online. Um, and, you know, again, don't have to be down to one, one uh, specific location. John, why are you an entrepreneur? I like having the ability to not only uh, create the vision and the path, um, but then to be able to lead uh, the idea down the path. Um, you know, I, when I was younger, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a few different jobs and people were always like, man, you should be in sales. You'd be so good at sales. And so I got into sales and I realized that there was a lot of freedom that comes uh, in that space, right? I mean, if you're at quota, people in general that are, that are working kind of a, a regular job. Um, and I've always been an idea person, you know, I've, I've just always kind of jotted ideas down and came up with some of them are wild and crazy and make no sense. And others are, are, you know, seemingly you know, groundbreaking and, and unicorns in their own right. And uh, it, it's exciting. You know, I've, I've been doing it. I've been self-employed as an entrepreneur for over 20 years now. And so, um, you know, I like to joke um, that I'm unhirable, um, which, you know, certainly it's not really the case, but uh, I, I, it's kind of my own defense mechanism that I've put up that it's like, you know, I don't want to go into a different line of uh, thinking, right, as an entrepreneur, maybe a different, uh, different industry or a different focus. But um, yeah, I, I like... Um, I like having it on my shoulders and, and I like the freedom that comes along with it. I remember one time, I think you told me someone in your family, I can't remember your mom or a cousin, some, some of your family basically said, hey, John, here's this great job for you at Bone or someplace like that. And, you, and you're like, do you even know me? Like, are you kidding right now? Do you even know me? Yeah, that was my mom. And, uh, you know, she was just, I think probably watching her son, you know, be, be split in eight different directions and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stability that comes with it. I think, you know, you know, in your heart and your mind that, that everything's going to be okay. But to other people, you know, they're listening to, they're seeing you, you know, work excessive hours or they're, they're trying to, they hear about this idea and this thing going on and all these other things. And it's like, man, life was so much easier back in the day when you just, you know, had a job and you went to work and then you're retired. And, and I'm definitely not cut from that cloth. And, it, and so it was at Boeing and I, and I did, tell her or question her on, on whether she knew me or not. Um, and I think she still thinks I'm a little crazy for, uh, for, you know, my chosen, my chosen lifestyle. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I can't imagine really it being any other way. I would be very worried to have to go to a job, I think, where somebody else told me what I needed to do. So, so. from your time as an entrepreneur, can you give an estimate like how many companies you started and how many have failed? How many have been successful? Well, my first one, uh, I was part of for quite some time, um, about 17 years. And so um, that, was, that was a great run. Uh, we built a great company. Um, to me, it just became really at the end, it was a job. Um, and so along the way, you know, with my, my uh, adult ADD, you know, driving me to chase shiny objects all over. I, I've probably created more business plans than I would actually care to admit. Um, but, you know, you can always fall back, right? It's always plan B. Um, 
So I think at this point, probably I've uh, been involved with five or six um, startups. Um, this last year, I had three simultaneously going on, which, um, you know, I, I realized that at that point I, I had taken on too much. Um, and of course, what happens then is, is everything sort of fails simultaneously. Um, I can't say that I've... I mean, there's 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 certain examples of failure that that I could, you know, really weave into any one of the the, the startups that I've started or, or been involved in. Um, none have failed per se. Um, you know, there's been a not so glorious crashing down to earth um, that actually had you know a bit of a uh, a bit of a silver lining, uh, but. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep going. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I still feel really great um, mentally and, and physically. And so, um, yeah, I, I expect to be involved in quite a few more. So you might not be the best person to give advice on this based on what you just said, but a lot of entrepreneurs, they fall to the Sonny syndrome after, right? How would you recommend people not follow that, right? It was, oh, this is, I want to do this, or a new project, or... My friend has this great business. And before you know it, like you said, you're in three companies full time and like, and that's not doable, right? So how do you stop that? Or should you stop it? Should you just do everything yeah. you can? Uh, first of all, I'm super guilty of that. Um, how to stop, you know, I think uh, for me, it was just, I kind of hit the wall, right? I mean, it was just too much going on, not enough um, energy being put into any one particular bucket. Um, always kind of hoping that I could find somebody to help, you know, uh, bring these ideas along. And, um, and, and really what ends up happening is that you stop giving your attention and your love to that, that particular thing. And you're, you know, you're hoping that somebody you can, you can, uh, get involved will kind of have that same passion. Um, you know, I think, you know, as well as I do and, and any entrepreneur out there that, uh, that's just not the case, right? I mean, you, if you need to be vested to, to really, um, I think give yourself and all of your time and, and to be willing to give your own money. So um, I think that's come over time. I've, I've slowly learned that lesson. Um, you know, I think once you start on something, you know, you either got to go all in or you need to find another, another project or hobby. And, and I think the people that have the luxury of, of really doing that have sort of eclipsed the entrepreneur role and, and they're an investor. Right. And so um, I always felt like I could put, you know, sweat equity or, or uh, creativity into something and that, that, and it would blossom on its own. And it's just really, to me, for me rather, um, it just, it hasn't been the case. You know, I, it, it takes time. It takes full focus. And I think, you know, an unwavering commitment and passion, right? Like you just have to wake up every day. You have to like focus on that one thing. And so John, I, I would, I would advise against it personally. Stay focused. So, so you're saying you're one of those uh, dudes I say not as a dude people, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. I, I can't tell you that I'm like, you know, the, uh, the pinnacle of success when it comes to that. I mean, and, and that's okay. I mean, I've, I've done great in a lot of things and, and some things that I've tried and, and, um, but yeah, that, that would be my bit of advice is, is stay focused, you know, find that one thing and, and, uh, try not to chase too many other things. So, John, they always tell entrepreneurs or founders, you know, don't give up, keep on going, keep grinding. 
if you give up, you know, success might be around the corner, you know, blase, blase, et cetera, et cetera. But from your point of view, when should a, a founder or entrepreneur stop? Like, when should they quit, so to speak, you know, and, and do something else? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think that, that's a it's super personal question, right? It's like everybody's got their own situation. I mean, is the company funded? Are you funding it yourself? Uh, is your wife still happy or your husband still happy or partner, um, you know, with the progress? Uh, though obviously, a lot of those outside factors are, are major players in the, in the whole scenario. Um, I had to park a business that I'm, I feel really great about. Um, it's an idea, rather. It's not, a, it's not a business yet, but it's an idea. And I was pushing pretty hard on it a year, nine months ago. Um, but really to, in order for me to properly clean up my plate that I was dealing with this sort of messy, messy kitchen syndrome, um, I had to park that thing. And, I, you know, I've invested some quite a bit of time and money into it. Um, and I think about it often. So I haven't given up on it completely, but I, I had to prioritize um, a couple of different things, including moving to Mexico above that. And so and I, that's the thing, I guess what I'm saying is like, you don't always have to, you know, uh, unincorporate, dissolve a company. Sometimes it's just better to, you know, maybe park it and, um, you know, just see where, where uh, your path takes you. And, and you know, you, it, it's always there waiting. John, can you talk about the importance of the, those around you, like your closest loved ones supporting your, 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 entrepreneurial, your entrepreneurial dreams? When I say support, no, there's not a, hey, John, you know, I support you, but I really support you. And you can really tell they support you how important that is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge, right? I mean, you need to have, um, for me personally, quite a bit on my wife to, um, to help me, you know, be able to see the forest of the, the forest of the trees. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is if, if it's, if you're not getting that partner buy-off, uh, I think at the highest level, at least, you know, for me, um, then uh, there is no opportunity for me to do this, right? And so it, it's critical. Um, with your family, yeah, it's huge, right? I mean, if, if you uh, do some sort of a crowdfunding campaign or, or you do a product launch or you're looking for people that just really want to help you spread the word without anything in return, I and mean, that's really important, right? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's like your built-in family of ambassadors that, that are that are there to, um, you know, help you, whether it's to, you know, put product in boxes or it's to, um, you know, share to their, their network, you know, the, the opportunity that you're involved in. So I think it's, it's really, really important. Uh, I can't imagine doing it without, without my network for sure. So off the subject a little bit, you've been a mix of like two months now, right? Right. Just over two months. So have you become a tequila drinker or mezcal drinker? Uh, good question. Um, yeah, I, I, tequila is still more common here. Uh, all, you know, Mezcal is kind of like the craft beer world um, 10 years ago, I suppose, in the States. Um, if I were to pour either one of them over ice, I would probably use Mezcal. Uh, if I'm going to have a margarita at the beach, uh, I'll go tequila. So, do they make the margaritas better there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I thought so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. 
So how how have your kids adjusted to being there? And in more flavors, by the way, of the margaritas. Um, kids are great. They, um, you know, they're excited. They 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 they're lucky. They have uh, both sets of grandparents are in their lives still, um, and so that's huge. They're they're really close with both of them. So it's it's been, um, you know, they miss they miss one set, um, but they get to spend time with the other set. And that, that went both ways. We were in the States and down here. Uh, but yeah, lots of swimming. You know, we got down here. They weren't, they weren't the best swimmers. They were a little, little timid toward the water. And now, you know, they're unstoppable. They're doing cannonballs and diving in. And, and uh, that's, a, that's a big part of our life. So we are uh, in our community. We've got a couple of pools. So we're at the pool once a day. Uh, we're at the ocean, you know, a couple days a week. Um, ideally, we make it a couple times a week. So a lot Lots of outside activity, lots of walking and, and just being outdoors. And so they're, they're adjusting really well. School started or starts officially Wednesday. So we're, we're looking forward to that. And it's, it's a bilingual school. So, um, you know, they'll do great. They'll pick up the language really quickly. And, and that'll be great for me. So I'll have more people to practice with. And so did, have y'all been able to do like a lot of travel within Mexico itself, like taking like day trips in the car or something like that or flying different places? You've just pretty much been there the last two months. Yeah, pretty much mostly here. Um, I went up to Denver. I was gone for about a week in between for the outdoor retailer trade show. Um, we've been on a couple of day trips, uh, but no, we haven't been on a plane and flown within, uh, within Mexico yet, but we will. There's some amazing places, so definitely looking forward to getting so I know. Uh, I, I know in the past you've done a lot of traveling to China. Have you been able to go back to China recently, or is it still like on lockdown because of COVID and everything else going on? Yep, fully locked. Well, not locked down. I'm not sure, but our ability to go there right now, no, we not at all. Last um, last place I went besides Mexico was Singapore, December 19. So just before COVID really got going. Okay. So yeah, I haven't been back to Asia, but uh, looking forward to the, the day when we get to do that again. So John, next let's talk about your Kickstarter. You just recently launched for for Campbell Designs, correct? Correct. Yep. So first. Before we talk about Kickstarter, talk about Campbell, Campbell Designs, like how, where the idea came from, why you got started, where the company's at right now, what's your, like your master vision for the company moving forward? Sure, yeah. So Campo um, is, a, is a brand that we built um, when, I, when I was introduced to this tent. Um, and it's, it's a tent that, it's the only tent in the world that opens and closes. Um, it's got a, a hub that allows it to uh, have, you know, varying degrees of being open and closed. Um, and so, uh, my wife and I, um, love the idea of having a direct to consumer brand, uh, and my former business, uh, it wasn't really a big part. You know, we started quite a ways, uh, before the, the direct to consumer boom happened. And so at that company, we never really, we never really made that pivot, uh, in a big way. Uh, and so I was, I was really, uh, interested in, in trying out a direct to consumer uh, brand. And so we built Compo Designs really for that. And, you know, the, the premise was that um, we'd be able to offer really high quality, super well-designed outdoor products, outdoor lifestyle. So not backpacking, but really just, you know, if you, if you go to the beach, what do you need to have a great day? If you're camping and, and you're just a, a casual camper, what do you need to have a good time? Um, and so, you know, we thought that we could design this, this high quality yet affordable gear um, and be able to go direct to the consumer. Um, you know, having been in the in the retail distribution business for a long time, you know, I, I 
saw tons of brands that had great products, great brands. Uh, there's only so much shelf space, right? There's only there's only so many aisles and, and um, category space that you can fill as a brand. And a lot of the big guys are, are you know, they've got the whole entire store covered. And so we just thought this would be a great way to build a um, an online community and then, you know, offer um, super cool products to them direct. So that, that was kind of like the, the vision, right? And um, so we started, we launched the company a couple of years ago and COVID happened. So we needed to, you know, we, we essentially parked it. We weren't sure where it was going and, and we hadn't launched anything. And so, you know, we had this brand that was, that was productless. Um, and so we launched on Kickstarter about 15 days ago now um, with the Escape M4. That's the tent I was talking about. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone well. It's, you know, I, I've never done a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign before. So I wasn't completely sure on, um, you, you just never know. I mean, we have a super cool product. It's very unique. It's patented. Uh, it's not on the the lower end of the price spectrum. And so, um, you know, it's one of those products where every time I've ever used it, somebody's come up and asked, like, where did you get that thing? It's super cool. Like, how does it work? And so people are really intrigued by it. Um, and so, you know, we're I think we're at 230% funded at this point. Um, and... You know, so we're we're going to launch it. We'll we'll be delivering those in the spring, and so really the you know the brand uh, product roadmap will will grow. So, John, how many versions of the tent are there, or do you plan on having, or will this be the one? So there's there's two really, but one of them is is gigantic, uh, like upper door, you know, a six foot tall door in it. Um, so we've we've got that basically built into um, from a sample standpoint we've built these um, the commercial one there's just one so there's there's one style you know the reason is is with the, the way it functions is uh, we've tried to it's got seven poles and so not to get too much into the tent but um, you know it you can't it, the way it functions it requires all of the poles uh, and so for now you know we'll we'll just we're gonna go with one uh, we'll probably unlock a second color here soon. And, um, you know, once you experience the tent, it, it's just one of those, like, a lot of people say, you know, well, I don't, I, I'll never need another tent. This thing is perfect. I can go to the beach with it. I can go to my kid's game with it. I can go camping with it. Um, you know, it, it's all the things that I would want, like, a proper camping tent to be, but it's it's all the things that uh, camping proper camping tents aren't, too, so... Now, I could be remembering this wrong, but I believe that you actually did user research and you, you did like some kind of customer survey, user survey, and your customers, potential customers, picked the color of the tent, correct? And they picked, and then and then they pick a color that you didn't think they would pick. So we did a lot of color testing, yeah, definitely, and and um, that's that's like Pandora's box, right? Um, everybody's got their own their own flavor of colors. Uh, a lot of people like to have all of their gear match. Um, we ended up going with the original color, um, of the tent and mainly because as we were going through the, the, um, content creation phase, the only samples that we had were in the, the original color, the green, the black, and the yellow. And so, um, we didn't want to confuse the consumer as to what we would be delivering to them. And so we stuck with the original color, which is, it's a great color. Um, but we definitely want to, uh, expand on the, the color choices and um yeah i mean it was it was interesting you know uh, i didn't think purple and silver would be one of the most 
the most sought after colors, but it, but it was. And, you know, I think it just lets people kind of speak to their own personality. Um, the problem, obviously, when you're, when you're talking about manufacturing and, and a high ticket item like this is, is the minimum number of units that you have to buy uh, is quite high. So, you know, for every color that we want to invest in is, you know, it's $50,000, if not more. Um, so it, you know, makes it a little difficult to, to get too carried away. So John, you use the term of product roadmap. Now I know a lot of tech people know what product roadmap is, right? Basically like how do you gonna build a product over time, what features, but I think a lot of people forget, even with like non-tech products like tents or cars, you still have your product roadmap. Can you talk about how your team decided on your product roadmap? How you make sure you, you stayed on course with that? Yeah, well, so we've only launched one, right? But we do have uh, six or seven more products designed, built and ready to go. Um, it's, a, it's a lengthy process. Um, I'm not sure in the tech world per se, but in the, in the manufacturing of goods, designing of goods, sampling, you know, all the things that come along with it, the R&D, um, it's a lengthy process. And so, you know, you, you need to have an idea of where, you, where you're going to go with the brand and, and the product roadmap, right? How that all ties together. Um, otherwise, you end up with, um, I think you take the opportunity plays that come along. And this happened to us early on with my first brand is, is you know, we didn't really have a brand. So we started naming all of our products individually. And eventually what you ended up with is this really like confusing set of, of products that belong to this, this brand who, you know, as, as buyers and, and retail distribution goes, you know, they wouldn't buy coffee cups from me, even if I had the greatest coffee cup, because you know I'm a tent brand, for example. And so, at least this, this is really how it was back in the day. And so, I think the importance is it, it gives you direction, right? Like if you don't know where you're going, you just end up taking any opportunity that comes your way. Um, a long time ago, my first business, um, this is a perfect example. We were at the Colorado State Fair, right, selling hammocks, and that was what the first business was. And we saw, you know, we, we were doing good. Like we'd sell, you know, $1,000 a day or something. It's you know, not bad for being a, a hammock nomad. And, um, but we saw this booth that was constantly busy. It was just like packed all day long. So we ended up talking to the guy and they were selling these like candles, these reflective mirrored candles. And, you know, this kid's telling us, you know, he's doing eight, $10,000 a day. And we are like, wow, we could really use that kind of, kind of money to help us, you know, get our get our program going here and so we started buying we started buying from them this product which we would then extend off of our booth at these you know direct to consumer except like literally direct to consumer you know like where people would give you money kind of shows um it's and it's just kind of a funny memory looking back on that and, and remembering like how far off of our our target was these expensive, you know, uh, take up a lot of space, fragile products uh, that that we were we were really hustling. It was just all about that. So that veered us off course, um, and so because we didn't have a, product, a proper product roadmap, we didn't know. We just wanted to make money, right? And so if you're a hustler and you just want to make money, then it doesn't matter. But if you're a brand and you're trying to like create this path, um, you know. You, you need to stay in your lane at certain times and, and your your brands need to make sense to your product as much as your your brand makes sense to your product because your product is your brand so so 
back to the shiny object syndrome thing. I think you can do that on product roadmap too. Like, so what is your process? Does, I mean, I make this up, right? You, you, you build on the tent and someone says, you know what? It'd be great if we have like Alexa, Amazon Alexa built in here. Like, how do you like squash that, right? Like, oh, that's a great idea, but it might be 10 years down the road. Like, how do you like stop that without, you know, killing creativity, so to speak? I think discipline, right? I mean, you know, everybody, everybody's got an idea and, it, and you know, it, it behooves you to listen to them. Um, but I think once you, once you have that roadmap uh, charted out and you say, look, this is our brand. These are the products that we want to offer. Here's why that makes sense. Um, you know, you just try and stick to that plan as much as possible. Um, you know, uh, so much opportunity comes along, right? That's, you just have to, you have to stay committed to that plan and that strategy. Um, and for us, it, it, it is a lot like that. It's, it's kind of our own use though, right? It's like when we use the tools we need and want, right? Um, through doing tons of research. You know, what do consumers buy when they buy X product? You know, they buy this and this and this. It's like when you go on Amazon, you know, often bought with this product and you get all these sort of different ideas. Um, some of those make sense and some of them don't, right? It's like somebody bought a tent and then they bought, you know, a, a briefcase and then they bought an air freshener for their house, right? That obviously doesn't make sense. Um, but for us, it's really like, how do we go out there and enjoy the day in the outdoors or, or weekend or a week in the outdoors? And what are the things that we need and we think will make us more comfortable? And that's that's really kind of who we are as, as a brand. It's all about lifestyle. It's all about comfort. Um, it's less about how much something weighs, um, you know, how compact is it? It's, it's like we always used to joke, right? If we're going camping, um, you know, we're wheeling something behind us. And if we're not, and that's our cooler, right? And if we can't wheel it, well, we're not going there. This was always sort of our, our attitude about it because it was all about fun, right? And getting in the outdoors and just having fun. So John, without giving out any secrets, like how's your tent built, right? Is it like built 10 at a time, 100 at a time in a factory? Like how does that all, all that work? Yeah, no, definitely in a factory. Um, we, the MOQ, minimum order quantity is, is um, 500 units at a time. And so um, up for you know, economies of scale, right? I mean, if they build us a sample, it's, yeah, I think the last sample I paid for was like $1,500 um, for one. Right. And so the factories these days, the supply chain is so incredibly busy. Um, even getting samples anymore is really difficult. Like I tried to get another sample the other day. We've got a distributor in, in Japan that wants to, um, wants to start selling our tents. They, they need a sample. And so, um, but the factory was, you know, they're just, they're not really in a position where they need to or want to um, create samples for people. Um, it's, and, and when they do, they're going to charge you 10x, you know, what you're paying wholesale. So um, kind of a tricky proposition these days. John, how do you make sure the, the, the people make the test for you meet your, meet your quality standards? Or... Yeah, so good question. Um, for the better part of the last 20 years, that's, that's been one of my main roles is being at the factory, overseeing that quality, working with them, evolving the product, um, making sure it's as good as it could be, possibly be. Um, these days, it's, it's, believe it or not, well, they, in China, it's all about WeChat, right? That's, that's kind of their Facebook, WhatsApp, and everything rolled into one Zoom. Um, so we definitely meet with our, uh, I'm, I'm working with a, um, an agent, basically, at this point, uh, just to ensure they're, they're in China, so they can ensure that quality is there. 
they can uh, make any any um, uh, product development updates. Um, they can test the product. They can show me on WeChat, and you know, we can walk around and, and look. It's it's different. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot more cost effective. I'll tell you that. But it's it's something that had to be kind of reprogrammed, right? I mean, it's it's a different different ball game now for sure. John, how do and you think that that comes? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Hmm. I was going to say, you know, I mean, a lot of people that I know have never been to China. Um, they work exclusively with and through somebody. Like, I would never recommend that. Um, I like to know who my partners are. And so this company I've, I've known for quite some time. And so there's a lot of trust there. Um, I could see how these days it'd be a little, a little sketchier for sure, sending your money all the way across the world without you know, really any kind of uh, personal connection. But um, I know people are doing it, so... Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I could never do that. Yeah. Besides, they just used to go to visit China anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, John, talk about the decision-making process in, de in deciding what, like, materials to use, like, what fabric, what, like, what materials to go to the poles, all that kind of stuff. Because I'm sure they have, like, far-reaching consequences deciding what to put in there, right? As far as cost, economies of scale, all that kind of stuff. Definitely. Um I think experience, you know, in, in the industry for a long time, understanding what's out there, paying attention to the trends, um, working with, you know, designers and, and your factory partners as well. Um, it's, it's, it's a big collaborative uh, exercise, really, I mean, to get to the right place. Um, you know, oftentimes when you sample, sample things, um, you're not going to get the color you want. You're not going to get the material you want. You're not going to get the finished product that you want. And so, again, it's back to that trust, that super important trust piece, right? Where it's, you know, for a fact that that person understands what exactly you're trying to build and that um, when you go to production, that that's what you get. So, you know, you've been telling people what you're going to deliver to them. So it needs to be, it needs to be that. Um, yeah, I mean, and obviously the, the cost, right? It's like, you know, you need to, you need to understand like what price point you want to be at, um, and, and kind of build according to that, as opposed to just building the Ferrari and then realizing that you're, you're in the Chevrolet market, right? And that, that happens a lot. I think that's like super common, really. Um, but we've learned over time, you know, we definitely want to start with that price point, kind of understand what fits in that box. Uh, and with a good partner, they're going to they're gonna be upfront with you from the go so that you can make those educated decisions moving forward. And, and do you plan to be direct consumer forever, or do you eventually plan to go to stores like RAI and Dick Sporting Goods and those kind of stores that sell it there? Um, I think with with Compo, um, it'll be a hybrid model. So we've got some products in the pipeline that we think uh, there's margin, right? I mean, some of them are, you know, you really like when you you look at our tent, for example, it's an expensive product for us to buy. So when you look at as it touches more people's hands, like where does it finally end up as a price at a price point. And so um, that one doesn't really allow a very good retail distribution um, partnership. Other products that will launch will. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I look at a lot of the, the kind of pioneers of the, the big direct to consumer brands and the way they started was, was exclusively direct to consumer and to the point where retailers would finally ask them, um, you know, like, well, what's it going to take? I mean, we'll raise the, we'll raise the MSRP for you. We'll, you know, we'll take less of a margin. We really want your brand in the store. And so uh, I, I think that's probably, you know, the, 
that's the spot to be in, right? When, when you've created such a demand online, through social media, through your marketing efforts, that the retailers come direct to you, uh, that's, a, that's a big win for sure. I mean, and, and, you know, I think what's really great about the outdoor industry is, is as like specialty retailers go, I mean, 2008, it happened when the economy went bad, the real estate market, again, due to COVID. And, you know, you got some amazing retailers in this space. And these guys have reinvented themselves. Uh, they went from brick and mortar to like the hybrid model where they started selling to their consumers that love going into their store, you know, REI, I mean, but not just REI, like, like mom and pops, like smaller, smaller retails, retailers. So I think that's pretty exciting and it's been pretty fun to watch. And uh, so I, you know, I'm not opposed to going into that retail world. It's just that um, certain products will, will work for us in some way. So John, I'm, I'm presuming that everyone, you, you were like everyone who enjoys the outdoors or camping or being in the outdoors to buy your product. Having said that, who is your, like, I think the correct term is customer avatar, right? Like, who's your target customer? Like, someone, like, like is a hardcore camper and goes, like, every day? Is it someone who, like, you know, like, camps once a year? What's, what's your niche, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with the tent uh, in particular, it's, it's um, families. Uh, it's casual uh, car campers. Um, you know, a couple in the dog. Uh, uh, versatility in a product and value uh, you know a lot of our friends you know they don't own any camping you know, they go off a couple nights uh, rains um you know it's windy it's nasty outside and they go camping two years later right so, um i think the little that are we're looking for are people that are you know, again, they want to go to the beach and they've got this, they've got a, a great shelter at the beach. They want to go camping. They've got this tent that they can they fully be dialed into camp. Um, you know, they want to use it at the park at a, at a festival or something like that. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of like with our products, we always want to have more than one way that they're, they're intended to be used. Um, so that we do add that value um, and people, people use the product. What so, John, how many people fit, can fit in the tent? How many could fit in it? Oh, geez. I mean, I think if like if we were doing like stuff people in a car, I think you could get you know ten. But it's who's it designed for? You know, we call it a four person. Um, you know, you could easily put four people, gear, a couple air mattresses, a dog, a couple kids in there. Um, it's it's a big tent, you know, as compared to a lot of the ones that are on the market. So John, what I think do you think we're really going for it? We can get a lot of people. Even there. Stack them on top of each other, military style. Make your buddy happy, so to speak. Exactly. exactly. So John, <laughs> talk about what you're doing on social media for your for your for your company to, to you know advertise a Kickstarter. Yeah, that's a that's a huge part of it. Um, because the tent's unique, uh, because it doesn't function uh, the same way that normal tents do and, and shelters do. Um, when we first started the campaign, we were, we were focusing on just beautiful still imagery, um, really trying to capture that moment. And that, that, that's good and bad. Um, you know, and that's part of our positioning that we've, we've learned a lot during this exercise, uh, during the, the 15 days of being, being live. Um, we ended up taking our, our um, campaign video and chopping it into little 15 second snippets 
and then uh, basically advertising with those uh, with one of the beautiful still images on top. So it's like the thumbnail. And then, um, and the reason we did that was, was that we, we started getting feedback where people kind of thought they were only buying a beach shelter, uh, you know, and who would spend this much money for a beach shelter. And, you know, really the feedback was great. Um, and, and that's where I think it pays off. You know, you got to check your ego and you have to listen to what people are telling you about your brand and your product um, and how it's being positioned and delivered to them. And so when we pivoted into the video shorts, uh, we really saw our engagement pick up a lot. Uh, we saw our customer acquisition costs go down. Um, you know, people were spending the full 15 seconds watching the whole video, um, really getting to know it. And, and the questions basically, you know, went from, 80% of the people having a question like, how does this work? Does it zip? Does it, zip? you know, whatever the questions were down to like 10% of the people, um, which was a much more acceptable number. And so we really saw our, our signups uh, increase then. And we saw the engagement go up quite a bit too. Yeah. I really like what you're doing on TikTok too. I really like your videos on TikTok. I don't know if they're paying off for you or what engagement you get, but I just like the way the call the video on there and the story you're telling on TikTok. I think that those are really good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I mean, uh, this is the, it's a new world, right? I mean, we can see videos for anything and everything like all day long. And that's how people are, are interacting on social media, right? We're swiping, 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 and just looking for that cool little, you know, my attention span is, 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 is shorter than a goldfish's. So, you know, you better get my attention quick and, uh, you know, it, it better compel me to take action in some way, whether it be to follow you on social to give you my email, to give you my money, uh, any, any number of those things. And, and I'm just like every other consumer. And so like, you know, it's funny, a lot of the, the feedback, it's not always great. You know, it's like, people are pretty harsh. Um, you know, you're just like, dang, do I know this person? Do they actually like, is there like this weird past history with this person? You know, and you've got your trolls and then you've got the people that are just delivering a message in the way that they know how. Um, and, and that was an internal discussion that we had you know, really in the beginning, it's like, how do we manage the social side of this when people, when people aren't kind, they aren't accepting. Uh, and frankly, they're just like rude and nasty, you know, they're letting you have it. Um, and so we made this, the decision to, unless it was like offensive or, or bad language or something like that, to not hide those comments. Um, because we wanted people to know that we're authentic and, and you know, this is, we're launching this product we think it's amazing. Um, People are going to have an opinion and um, we don't want to shy away from those opinions. And we, and we want to listen to the feedback that the consumer is giving us because they're the ones that are ultimately going to make the decision to, to support our brand and, uh, and, you know, invest in that product. So, yeah, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really thick skin, right? I kind of, as a human goes, it's hard to offend me. Um, you know, but when you, when you, pull back the curtain and show the world, you know, this is our, this is our baby. This is what we're launching. This is what we spent all this time and energy and money on. And, you know, they start hammering on you. It's, uh, I, I've been asked not to engage with people, uh, you know, late at night or at the end of a long day, things like but that. But it's so, it's <laughs> no, so hard not, it's so hard not to though. Yeah, it is. And you know, it's cool. It's, it's interesting that a lot of people, there's a lot of good people. There's more good people than, than bad or happy than, than mad, I think. But um, just kind of trying to like quell people's bad attitudes or, or like, 
hey, I've actually seen this thing and I've actually used this thing. And you're, you're just, you're wrong. So it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, the, your supporters uh, support you. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Before you had 100 comments, probably nine, nine of them would be positive, or at least either positive or at least neutral, right? But there's always that one who, like, is jackass, right? But there's always that one who gets on our nerves. You want to, you know, bite back, you know, we just got to learn not to do it, you know? That's something I got to get better at, too. Yeah, but it's the one person that's, that's like, actually, like, trying to rally supporters against you and you're like what are you what is going on here like you just wish you could pick up the phone and be like hey is, you know what can we talk about this like what, what's your deal and and i think if people just have their deal you know maybe it's a competitor you know maybe it's an old business partner maybe it's an old you know girlfriend i don't i don't know who it is it's uh i, I you know now we just kind of sweep them under the rug and we try and we try and um address their their feedback and you know again we're not going to fight with anybody. If, if it turns into some sort of a weird, like there's some drama or something, we'll just, you know, move the, the conversation elsewhere. So John, of all of the feedback you received so far from Kickstarter, is, did any feedback surprise you? Something like something you didn't, you, like totally left field, you did not expect at all? That was, whether it's positive or negative? Um, the negative doesn't surprise me so much. Um, I think it's nothing really either way. I mean, just a lot of like feel good moments where, you know, people are like, man, that design is just amazing. Like I've, I've thought about something like this similar, um, you know, I could see me using it for this, that, and, and, you know, like stargazing, for example, like I'm not a star. I, I love looking at stars, but I'm not like a, you know, I don't take a telescope and like, I'm not serious about it. Right. But you know, there's this whole world of people that are, and, and they're really drawn to our product. And so that's, that's kind of a cool thing is to, you know, add that one more new little, Hey, stargazers like our product too. It's, it's kind of a fun thing to do. So we're going to come back to your kickstart in a minute. Next, I want to go to the co-founders and employees. Talk about the challenges of bringing on co-founders, co-founder relationships, employee relationships at, at an early stage business. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, speaking to this business specifically, um, my wife is my co-founder. Um, technically she owns 51%. So she, I guess she would be the, the super co-founder. Um, <laughs> but no, we, uh, we collaborate really well. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's, she was gainfully employed, um, in the corporate world. And so we would always work on the project late at night. Um, you know, and that's, I, I really value her opinion and you know, her input. Uh, and she's super organized. She's a lot of, she's mostly, most of the things that I'm not, she makes up for and I think vice versa. Um, so that was, that was pretty easy, right? I mean, we just had to make a commitment. There are rules these days. We don't talk about it. Um, you know, certain nights when, you know, when the kids are awake, we don't talk about it after dinner. You know, we try and, we've had to like create some boundaries around it, which is, is healthy. Right. Cause I, if it was me, or if it was me, like I would talk about it all the time. And my wife's like, take it easy. Just go, go watch you. Go watch something, go for a run, go do something. Um, so, so that one is, you know, I think you have to be careful in that space. We've done a good job of navigating in and around that and working well together. Uh, I think if you're starting your own business and you're looking to bring a co-founder in, um, there's, there's, there's some great resources out there, some great books. 
Um, Splitting Pie was a book that I read that I really liked. Um, and it helped bring a lot of uh, understanding for me. You know, it, I think a lot of people, like, we all have these ideas and we want them so badly to get off the ground. And you meet someone and they're like, that's a cool idea. Like, I'm into this, you know, I want in. And you're like, okay, boom, here's half, right? And then you find out a month later that you haven't talked to them. They, you know, there's nothing happening, nothing going on. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you're in a bad position. And so I think it's important to, um, to, to learn more about that before you kind of make those, those equity giveaway decisions. Um, you know, because we all, we're all so keen and so passionate to do this. You know, again, it's like, Somebody wants to help. You just want help, right? You're like, man, I'll give you half of nothing if you just help me. But then that half of nothing could become, you know, that could become a handcuff though, right? Like if you, you finally figure out that combination and you bring some good employees on and, and people join your company and you start growing it, that half that you gave away, um, you know, that may become a problem for you. So it's, um, I, I think, be cautious, right? Just make sure you know what you're getting into. Yeah, I think one thing people have to realize, like, if you make someone a co-founder, employee number one, give them X amount of equity, pay them $100,000, you the case would be, they would never be as passionate about your business as you are, right? And people don't get, like, people hear it all the time, why does an employee X, like, love this like I do? Well, it's not their business, right? Like, you can't expect them to do that. Now, you, do, you should expect that do, do like, add value and make the company better. Why are they going to be all in as you are? Like, probably not. Right. I, yeah, I... You know, it's, it doesn't make sense. Like when I was, when I first started out in the entrepreneurial world, like, you know, everybody, you know, I would meet people and they'd say, oh, I'll build you a website for free, you know, friend. And then four months later, you're like, hey man, you know, can I build that website? And so, you know, that was the first lesson I learned. Like, the, you know, ain't nothing free, right? <laughs> um, and then you start hiring people and you think, man, like this guy really gets it or this, this gal really gets it. Um, you know, I, I want to give them part of this and, and maybe that'll make them work harder. And I think in a lot of instances it does, um, but in a lot of cases it, it doesn't. And so, yeah, it's a good point you bring up. I, you know, it's your baby. So John, you, next, can you talk about your Kickstarter in more detail? Like why you started it, what's going on with it, your goals. And also you can like maybe share your screen and show maybe a couple of videos or your actual Kickstarter campaign. Sure. Yeah. Um, we wanted to crowdfund it because, um, it's, it's obviously a huge, huge marketing machine, right? You're able to show a lot of people what you have going on. Um, you're able to get backing so that you can go to that first round of production uh, without, you know, spending, um, you know, having to raise money, you know, elsewhere um, and or spend all of your money. Um, and so, excuse me, um, I was, that was really kind of, and I always wanted to do one. I just thought it was like super interesting, right? It's um, to see some, the coolest cooler, for example, raised $13 million. Of course, they, they, they crashed and burned, but um, it was just a big market of, of interested people out there. And I think if you put good content, you put a good uh, product, a message, and brand out there, you know, you, you can get good results. Um, so I just got a, a, a notification a minute ago. We are at 225% funded. Uh, we were looking to raise uh, $20,000. So we're at 45,000 at this point. Um, you know, uh, the good news is we're funded. Uh, and it's, it's, it's successfully funded. And it's still growing every day. Um, it, you know, honestly, like, we, we had uh, higher hopes. Um, but I do think there are a couple things that are um, 
very, very prevalent. And, you know, those would be timing. And, you know, the outdoor industry has just been, has just done amazingly well. Um, but right now, I, you know, a lot of the, the feedback and sentiment we're hearing is people just aren't sure where we're going. And, you know, is there going to be another variant? Is there going to be, you know, some states are locked down, other states aren't. It's just kind of an uncertain time. Um, without getting into all of that, I, I, that's just sort of the general consensus that, that we're hearing and, and seeing. Um, so that's that's part of this, I think. And then I think positioning would be another. You know, we've got, again, like I grew up, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii when I was a kid and we would always beach camp. And so that's one of my favorite places to camp. I love, I love being at the beach. And so we kind of leaned in really heavily on our marketing efforts for what we like. Um, and so, um, you know, shifting partly part of the way through and, and saying, Hey, you know, just due to feedback, um, kind of re reworking our messaging, um, was a challenge for sure. And so learned a lot. I really believe in the crowdfunding uh, world and, um, definitely won't shy away from it again. Um, you know, we chose an outside partner, um, to help with the marketing efforts and because we just weren't sure what else was in, involved in this scenario, this uh, combination to successful crowdfunding. Uh, and so I think, you know, in the future we'll do it again and we'll, we'll have learned from this one and we'll ride this success uh, into even more successful campaigns in the future. But um, yeah, let me show you the video. Um, Why show the video? Can you, can you explain how you came about picking the amount of money you wanted to raise and and can you tell me how you decided the amount of time to do the Kickstarter for? Yeah, sure. So um, in the crowdfunding world, one of the most important things is uh, to get funded as soon as possible. Uh, that, that creates a lot of social proof. Um, you know, people feel more comfortable getting involved in projects that are, that are funded so that they know their money isn't, is, isn't just going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna get you know, emotionally connected to this thing that they want really badly. And then the project fails, for example, and then there's, there is no delivery. Um, so we really wanted to fund, right? We want to get funded. That was our, our number one goal was like, uh, even if we have to then, you know, throw in, you know, more of our own money to get this thing to market, we were okay with that. Um, we just really wanted to also get a lot of feedback and see what people thought about it. And so uh, that, that kind of helping us build our foundation. Um, so we, we went with a, a relatively low number, 20,000, um, to help get us there. And, and obviously that does not cut, you know, does not pay for the cost of production, right? So the goal is to continue growing that uh, and then um, to be able to deliver that first round. So we'll be able to do that for sure in, in early spring. Um, and yeah, the video was shot on location in uh, Tulum in Acamal, Mexico. Uh, with a with a friend of mine who's an amazing videographer, and so this is our campaign page here, and so it's it's the Escape M4 is the name of the tent, two in one, full tent or retractable shade cove, uh, and so choose your adventure sunshade. And so, this John, is a, uh, quick quick question for your 124 yeah. backers, do they get anything extra for being like your first backers? They, so they get the, the super early bird discount, um, which is 40% off if you buy one, 45% off if you buy two. So that brought the price down to $299 and $275 uh, for one or, or $275 for two uh, units. Um, and then we are unlocking 
uh, any day now a um, basically like a freebie for all of those backers that have already that have already backed, and then moving forward. So you know, once we hit that, I think it's forty five thousand. So we're you know twelve dollars away. Once that happens, uh, we'll be unlocking uh, some beach totes that go along with this, uh, and so some other cool little little things to um, to help reward those those people that have that have helped us get to this point, and then moving forward. And so, yeah, this is the this is the Kickstarter page, and so this is kind of what I was telling you. Know, it's it can be fully open all the way to fully closed here on the right, bottom right. Um, and there is a uh, you know, this is my first big modeling gig slash voiceover, so I'm 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 the voice on the video as well, um, which has always been a uh, one of those things I've, I I didn't ever imagine that I would do, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and then these are some of the little snippets here, shorter videos. Uh, that guy looks familiar. Again. Yeah, you've seen that guy before. And then down here, we went into a, uh, a setup video, and it's pretty funny. I, you know, if you look closely at the video, well, these are some, some still shots. It's on our YouTube channel as well, but it was probably 100 degrees with 95% humidity that day, and we were in the jungle. Um, so, I mean, I was huffing and puffing and, and sweating and it's actually pretty funny for me to watch this because you know, knowing what I was going through at that during that particular time. Um, and I'll tell you what, just working with a bunch of different video people and photo people, I've, I've gained a lot of respect for that profession. It's, it's a lot of work when you're out there in that cooking sun. And, and for me, the, the model hearing, you know, do it again, do it again, do it again all day long. I was just like, what is going on? I think it's good. And they're like, no, it's yeah, not exactly. Good. Um, that's, that's perfect. No, it's not. Do it again. What? Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm hungry. i got to get out of here. And, of course, that day I got my wallet stolen, uh, my keys to my car. We weren't in my car, and my sunglasses. So that was like the double whammy on that day. So that was my, my Welcome to the Jungle of Mexico um, video shoot there. But this, is, um, this was uh, the campaign, or is the campaign video. So I'll just show you real quick here. So how do you find all these models for, for the ad? Yeah, so um, my, uh, my good friend, uh, uh, Jeff Brockmeyer, who lives down in Tulum, uh, did like tons of this front end work for us, which was huge. Um, want me to stop sharing or? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was able to, uh, to find, you know, a lot of these people are, are digital nomads themselves. They're down there, you know, they happen to model before, maybe they're still modeling, um, kind of looking around the world. Um, yeah, it's just sort of, uh, he was able to find all these people and, and uh, you know, this guy right here that we're looking at um, lives locally down there. And so he was able to get us into a cenote. So that's where that's this particular part of the video is being shot. Um, which was amazing, you know, it, it's funny, I, you know, looking back and thinking about a lot of the shots from the video and, and this is, you know, obviously advice that I would give to, to anybody. I mean, if you're going to do a, a crowdfunding campaign or even launch a product, um, you know, uh, our videos, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's like a great video. Um, it's very nice. Very nice. But in, in spite of that, and, and we thought that we had covered all of our bases, you know, we showed opening and closing. When it's closed, you zip it up, it's a tent, right? And, and even so, like it just didn't, not everybody that saw the video or, or um, has seen the campaign fully understands it. You know, maybe they're, they don't watch it all the way through and, and um, you know, they formulate an opinion in a, in a really short amount of time. 
uh, or did we did we really nail that message hard enough? And so important to show it to as many people as you can and really, again, look for those opposing views and those people that are like, you know, giving you that, that really good critical feedback. Like, I don't understand what I'm looking at. And so, because um, I think that's the, the easiest way to, to like, you know, send people in the wrong direction. You know, if they don't yeah. understand it, then they're not going to give you their money. But then obviously, you know, you can't have like a 10 minute video either to either, right? So all the details, though, how do you do the balance? Something short enough to get attention, but not, you know, too long because. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the trick right there for sure. So when does your Kickstarter end? Is it going to go on for a while? It goes on until September 9th, I believe. Okay. So we've got 15 days to go. Yep. And, um, you know, like you see here, it says all, yeah, so it's September 9th. Okay. It was it was an all or nothing campaign, and that's one of the things that Kickstarter does is is it's all or nothing. Um, on Indiegogo, you can you can say, hey, I want to raise fifty grand, but I'll take ten because uh, mm -hmm. that would be helpful to us. As we figured, you know, if if because the amount we'll have to output personally, that if it didn't if it didn't hit that twenty k number, you know, maybe we had a problem, and and we want to uh, go back to the drawing board or, or figure out what what exactly. Um, we compel people to, to want to back the project. So, John, once someone buys your tent, how do they take care of it? Like, is it a special way they got to wash it or clean it? Or is it like, how does that work? Or is this like any other tent? It's pretty standard. Yeah, yeah it's pretty standard. I mean, I, uh, I cleaned ours up the other day from, uh, from our time at the beach, and it was full of sand. It was, you know, it, was, it was dirty and half wet when I put it away. And so I just took it out, sprayed it off, rubbed it down with a, a washcloth, hung it up. Um, to dry just when it was about to be fully dried, it, it rained um, and got all wet again. But it's okay, you know, they're 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 made to take that. Um, the sun, they're made to take the rain, and so yep, just basic care, just you know, treat, treat it like you like it. So, John, you might not know this, but from your 124 backers, like, does a certain presenters come from the states or from Texas or Colorado or Mexico or somewhere else? Yeah, no, we have full visibility of. of um, geographic location and and um yeah we, we know who every backer is um and so we can you know advertise for the most part we've we've um focused on the u.s although we know we have a big uk following um from from when the product was called Mo the mollusk food tent um previously it's a different different product but similar um so we know we have a big following in the UK. The, the major issue that we're having with opening it up outside of the US is, is the cost of shipping these days. Um, I mean, it's just, it's gone through the roof. And so, you know, you're, you're selling an already higher ticket item. And, you know, for us, like, it would be impossible. Like, we'd love to ship it for free, but it, literally we'd lose money on everyone. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of one of the great things about it. I think crowdfunding is that you, you get a discount on the item you know, when you build it all back in, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, it's cool. I, I love supporting you. Um, I didn't get like 40% off retail after I paid for shipping, but I got, you know, I got 10% off. I got to help this, this brand I like uh, launch. I got to support a product that I think is really cool. And I, that's kind of the spirit of crowdfunding, right? And it's like, if you're just looking for a good deal, I mean, you can go on Amazon and, you know. That, that's some of the feedback. Like I could buy, I could buy something on Amazon for 99 bucks. It's like, what's stopping you? Like you should, you know, I mean, we, we can't, we know we're not like the end all be all for everybody, but um, we think we've got a pretty cool product. 
So I know you probably couldn't do this. It's probably too expensive, but would it have been possible? Like, you know, you have 124 backers, like, like you have the first one, tent number one, like have the number on the tent, or that'd be too much to do? Uh, it's a cool idea. Um, it would, it would be tough. I mean, unless we just took a Sharpie. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I think number one and to sign do. it. Maybe I'll do that. Um, actually, that's yeah. not a bad thing. Put like a sign, sign by John Neff, something like that. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's worth more or less. Um, I, I think, you know, it really, it'll, it'll, you, when people back these, they know they're, they're, yeah. first, you know, maybe we'll change the color, right? So this green and yellow one, you know, we hit, we hit 300 units here. Uh, we roll 300 out and then we switch the color up. And so you've had V1 limited edition color or something like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. Dude. I think another good idea too, to spin ideas, like maybe pick a random customer of one of your backers and like do like some kind of like, um, content over how they get, how they get, how they get, how they get, how they get how it went from the factory to them, their first camping trip, you know, something like that, you know, I think that'd be a cool idea too. Like the whole customer story from purchase to when they actually use it. Of course, there'd be a lot of money involved probably. So. No, I agree though. I think it's, it's a neat idea to, and we definitely plan on leveraging, you know, our, our uh, customer content. Um, this is one of those items where people will be inspired to, to when they're out there having fun to share that um, and, and so that's to me I've always thought that's a good litmus test right it's like if somebody walks up to you and they're like that thing's cool whatever it is you know I like your coffee cup where'd you get it right um, you know you're onto something right if, and if um, people will create content for you I mean what a what a great position for a brand to be in right like I bought this from you I think it's amazing I want to take pictures I want to share it with my friends and family and I want to share it back to you as the brand. And then you give them that same love and feature them. It's a, it's a, it's a really positive two-way street. So, John, anything else you want to share about your Kickstarter campaign? Uh, you can, uh, if you'd like to support us, you can go to Kickstarter and type in Compo Designs. Uh, we would love to uh, have any and all support. Um, and if not, just be on the lookout for Compo Designs. We've got some great products coming in, in the near future. And... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's. I think it's a it's a great product. So you won't uh, you won't be sorry if you buy it. So John, is there anything that I sort of asked you that I didn't, or anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not. I'd, I'd say something cool about like the Olympics, but I don't know if that was. I think it's over. Uh, it, it's interesting being down here in in Mexico. Like you, how quickly you can disconnect from you know current events in the world. Um, no, so I think I think I'm good. So the, uh, yeah, that's like bringing a point. So you're down in Mexico, disconnected. Like, of course, now you know in the states, Afghanistan is a big thing. You know what's going on with that? Whether you agree, disagree, or whatever. Is, is it the same type of news coverage of that in Mexico? Or is like is not is not is that not even on the TV? So uh, we don't have cable. Um, I actually haven't had cable in my house for a long time. Um, not to say we don't catch up on news. Um, I don't really know on the local channels. Uh, my Spanish isn't quite good enough to turn on and, uh, you know, hear a newscaster deliver the news at 200 miles an hour. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, my, my Spanish is at a very slow, very uh, understandable pace. And I think, you know, like it's a beautiful language, but when somebody is really talking beyond your skill level, it's, it's like impossible. But, um, you know, we've met a lot of expats down here. Um, it's interesting. I think 
the reasoning why people end up moving, you know, to Mexico. And, and one of those is like just really not wanting to have to have, you know, it's, it's, been, geez, it's been crazy eight years, right? I mean, we've been up and down and all over the place. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been really good for us to kind of disconnect from that. Um, you know, and, and like I was saying, the, the people that we've met down here, it's like we all sort of have that same kind of vibe, right? You just want to like focus on your kids and your family and your business and your life and, and not let that like sensationalism that the media in the U.S. brings uh, kind of get in your way. And so that's, that's been really a huge blessing for us is just um, kind of stepping away from that. John, can you share your social media so people can reach out to you? Sure. Uh, we are Compo Designs, so it's at Compo Designs on Facebook. Uh, well, Facebook is just Compo Designs, and then on Instagram, we're at Compo Designs. Uh, we don't have a huge Twitter presence, but then again, on, on TikTok, like you mentioned, it's Compo Designs uh, as well. So. And for our listeners, we have the link to his Kickstarter campaign and his social media on our show notes. You can find the show notes at www com, and don't forget to sign up to Kevin's HR waitlist to help with our beta testing for our HR platform at www.cabinetshr.co So John, what kind of we're talking? Can you give us any advice or wisdom anything you want to talk about? I think I've, I think I've laid it all out there today. Enjoy life. Uh, you know, um, it's interesting. The one question like, a lot of people are, you know, like, how's it living down there? And I'm not promoting Mexico or, or anything, but really just um, it's this long time coming thing and I don't know how long we'll stay here maybe forever or maybe you know a year um, but uh, big world out there and don't you know go explore it don't get stuck in that rut of you know being drowned by the, the media and, and um, you know COVID hopefully will be gone one day soon and you know live your life have fun that's a great point. Like, how many people have a have a war view and never left like their hometown, right? A lot, a lot, and I, I think that's one of the things that, yeah, exactly. Once we get back to normal, I think you're going to see a big, a big boom in travel, and, and people are just going to just want to get out there and explore the world. I hope so. John, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. I had a good and time. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.